Now, this morning we're going to start a series that's going to run for the next six weeks, unless the Lord changes his mind, because sometimes he does that. But it's called Dressed for Victory. Dressed for victory. We're going to be going through the armor of God piece by piece. This morning we're starting. I know it's out of order if you read in Ephesians. It doesn't start with the helmet, but the Lord told me to start with the helmet this morning. But I got to tell you, one of my biggest memories as a kid is, and how many of you grew up in church when, like, around my time? Like, if you were in church, in the, especially if you were a kid, in, like, the middle of the 80s to the middle of the 90s, right? They had this armor of God play set that came out. And it was this plastic little thing that had this red cross on the front. And everything fit me but the helmet because my head was too big. It looked like a yarmulke on the back of my head. I'm dead serious. It was so, it was so small. But I remember, and, and, and I went to my friend's house one time, my friend Parker LeBlanc, and he had the armor too. And I can remember, this is my number one memory of the armor of God, right? So as a kid, you're taught right, what the armor of God is, but you don't really understand why you need it. So we thought that they gave it to us so that when we sword, would sword fight each other, we just wouldn't get hurt as bad. And I can remember we're sword fighting and we beat the tar out of each other with these plastic swords. And that's my memory as a kid of the armor of God. Looking back on it, I really wish that I could have had the understanding of what it was. Because a lot of times I think even Christians today, mature believers, don't really understand what it is. Because the armor of God is not something I do as a gesture in the morning. The armor of God is not just something I'm like, I'm going to put the armor of God, I'm going to put the helmet of salvation on. I'm going to put the belt of... It's not this euphoric gesture that I do. There's real power and there's real anointing and there's real truth attached to each of these things. And so we're going to dive into them because I'm not sure if you realize this, but the enemy doesn't like you. He doesn't like you. He doesn't like me. He actually hates the fact that you're existing. He hates the fact that you're alive because you're a testimony to the goodness and the grace of God. And so he hates you and he wants to snuff you out and he wants to take you out. He wants to destroy you. And, the, and, and God, the kingdom of God, gives us this armor. So I want to dive in this morning real quick. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. We're going to start in verse 12. Sorry, if you don't have verse 12, that's fine. Yes, you got it. Good. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Go back to verse 12. I want to make sure we understand this. Brother Ballard preached on it last week, but please hear me out. People are not the problem. I need to say that again to make sure you understand it. People are not the problem. People are the victim. I'm not trying to create a victim mentality and absolve responsibility, but in the context of this verse, people are the ones abused by the enemy. They're the ones taken advantage of by the enemy. They're the ones stolen from by the enemy. People are not the problem. So the person that you're harboring unforgiveness against is not the problem. The person that hurt you is not the problem. The person that doesn't like you is not the problem. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Go to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I love that verse right there. Having done all, stand. Verse 14. Stand, for, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints." Gave you all the pieces there. We're going to break through it. But before I even get into it, I need you to understand something. That soldiers, say this with me, soldiers do not buy their own armor. They don't buy their own armor. See, we're going to go back to Bible times. When you would sign up for the military or if you were, cons- you were conscripted to join the military or drafted or you were forced to join it, you would be trained and you'd be trained by the army of the kingdom you were a part of. Whether it was the kingdom of Britain or it was the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of Syria, you were trained by the kingdom you were going to be fighting for. And you were, the, the training cost, there was a cost attached to the training. And they would invest money in you. They would invest time in you. And so when the kingdom or the nation that you belong to would give you your armor or they'd give you your weapons, they were giving it to you for two reasons. Number one, to accomplish the purpose of that nation or kingdom. And two, to protect that nation's investment. So when God has given us this armor, he's giving it to us for two reasons. Number one is to accomplish his kingdom's purpose in the earth. And number two is to protect his investment. I need you to understand something. The fact that we're given the armor of God should cancel out all insecurity and lack of value that the enemy throws at you. Because you don't give armor to something you don't care about. You don't give armor to something you're not invested in. You don't give armor to something you don't want to protect. So the very fact that he protects you, the very fact that he tells you to take this stuff on is because he invested in you. And I'm not sure if anybody else here understands or remembers, but heaven made a pretty significant investment in you. Heaven made a pretty significant investment when it sent Jesus, the Son of God, left his throne, came down, took on the form of a servant, and humbled himself even to death, the death of a cross. And now he's been given a name that's of every other name, that at that name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, those on the earth, above the earth, on the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God in heaven. And so Jesus did all of this stuff for you and I out of obedience to the Father, so he wants to protect you. Stop letting the enemy lie to you and say you're not worth it, you have no value, you have no purpose, because we don't protect worthless things. Now back to the sermon. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This morning we're starting with the helmet. Now I don't feel like I need to be a PhD theologian to explain to you what the helmet protects. The helmet protects your head. But in this case, the helmet protects my mind. Because the enemy is after your mind. The enemy is after your mind. I'm going to say it one more time. Anybody whose mind ain't right this morning. The enemy is after your mind. Why is he after your mind? Y'all, I need to slow down. I'm getting excited. Go to chapter 4, verse 17. I got another chunk of scripture read, and then we're going to dive into it. 
This I say, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. If you have your Bibles or if you highlight in you version, I want you to highlight this next phrase. In the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness and greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. When you and I are born again, our soul is saved. Our soul is born again. We are justified in the eyes of God. When God looks at me, the moment that I surrender my life to Jesus, he doesn't look at me and see sinner anymore. He looks at me and sees the blood shed by Jesus Christ. And in that very moment, I am justified. I stand righteous before God because I'm standing in Christ. There's another word called sanctified. Sanctified means that I, my, my life looks like I've been purified in my outward living. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel too sanctified. Right? Reality check. You ever sinned? Ever? After you're born again? Like, wow, I shouldn't have done that. Right? That's what I'm talking about. So... Think about how amazing it is that even though I don't look like it yet, when the Father looks at me, he sees me as he sees Jesus. I don't look like it all yet. I don't have it all together yet. I don't have it all figured out yet. But he sees me in Christ already. Now, why does this matter? Because when I'm born again, my soul is right. My soul is regenerated. My soul is renewed. So when the Holy Spirit starts to work, where does he start to work? The renewing work of the Holy Spirit starts in your mind. It starts in your mind. Now, remember last week, Brother Ballard said, how we think determines how we feel, and how we feel determines how we live and act or behave. That's why the enemy is after your mind. Have you ever done something you knew you shouldn't have done, but you did it because you felt like it? I tell this story all the time to teenagers about not making dumb decisions in the moment. A friend of mine is fighting with his brother. He's senior in high school. He's about to go audition, playing piano at Southeastern for a full-ride scholarship. He gets mad at his, his brother. They're fighting. He walks up to the top of their staircase. The wall on the stairs went down, and he just hauls off and punches the wall and hits the stud. Boom, breaks this bone right here. He gets so mad that he hurt his hand, he steps to the left, punches with this hand, goes through and hits a screw in the wall and cuts his wrist. So he shows up the next day to school for the audition with a bandage on this hand and a cast on this one. It was a terrible decision, but he felt like doing it in the moment because he was mad about something. Why? Because something happened up here that made him mad, which made him feel angry, which made him act foolishly. This is why the enemy is after your mind. The enemy isn't after your behavior. The behavior is the easy part. If the enemy can just get you thinking wrong, living wrong is, the, is a piece of the cake. And so 
The renewing work of the Holy Spirit takes place up here. Look at verse 17. We're going to break this down a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 17. It says, yep, verse 17. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Y'all, he's writing to the Ephesians. The Ephesians were Gentiles. You and I are Gentiles. So he's saying, don't walk as the people walk. As they look like you, act like you, live, don't walk like them. Who you used to be, don't walk like them. In the futility of their mind. Now, when you start diving into the word futility or futile, you find out that it simply means useless. But one of those sub-definitions is not used for its intended purpose. So when I began to study this and really dig into this, what this verse was showing me is that when I'm living like the rest of the Gentiles, I am causing my mind to be futile or useless or not for its intended purpose. The past Chris, what does that mean? Well, yes, I understand that Gentiles, you know, lost people, they think about sin. They do sinful things and they do think, yes, not, that's not what I want to talk about for a minute. When my mind is used for anything but finding out who he is, what he wants me to do, who he wants me to be, what the kingdom has for me to do. When my mind is used for anything that isn't focused on him, it's futile. You know what that means? That means there are neurosurgeons whose minds are in futility. There are lawyers and politicians whose minds are in futility. Why? Because their minds are not focused on the things of the kingdom. Their minds are focused on the things of the Gentiles. So in the futility of your mind, because God wants to guard our minds. Our minds were created to understand the kingdom of God. So everybody in here says, man, I just can't really understand the Bible. I, I have a hard time reading and memorizing it. That's a lie from the pit of hell that you keep speaking over yourself. Your mind was created with the ability to understand the kingdom better than it was to understand your day job. But if we're, if that's, if we're not walking around with that active understanding growing constantly, it's because we're putting our minds in futility rather than where we should be putting them. Let's keep going. At salvation, our spirit man comes to life because of the Holy Spirit. He immediately gets to work renewing our minds because that's where transformation happens. Think of Romans 12 too. And no longer be conformed to the patterns or ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where the work starts. That's where the work hangs out. That's where the work is done. The helmet guards the transformative work that is taking place because the enemy is out to prevent it. Now that we know what the helmet does, it guards the work of the Holy Spirit. It guards it. It protects it. Because the enemy's coming to cancel it out. The enemy's coming to tell you that God is not who he says he is. That God has not done for you what he said he's done for you. That the truth that you are learning in your spirit is not right. He's attacking that. And so now that I've told you what the helmet does, I need to tell you how the helmet does it. Go back to Ephesians 6 for me. Verse 14, I believe. Sorry, verse 17, 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Say salvation. Say salvation again. 
The helmet of salvation. You know what it doesn't say right there? It doesn't say the helmet of revelation. It doesn't say the helmet of prophecy. It doesn't say the helmet of theology. It doesn't say the helmet of understanding, the helmet of knowledge, the helmet of wisdom. It says the helmet of salvation. And as I began to read this and dig into it, I began to realize sometimes, I think sometimes I do this. I don't know if you do, but sometimes I look too much into what the Bible's saying. Like like I'm like, there's got to be something more. And I keep reading, and there always is more. But sometimes he ain't trying to show me something more. Sometimes he wants me to read the black letters on the white page. And as I was preparing for this message, that's what it was. I kept digging for more, and he said, let's read it again. Just read it again. I was getting so frustrated. It was Tuesday. I'm like, God, I got stuff to do. I ain't got time to keep reading this verse over and over and over again. I'm like, you're the one that's got me so busy. Like, can, can we get on the road with this? Read it again. Read it again. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. And finally, the Holy Spirit said that he guards my mind with solid simplicity. He guards my mind with solid simplicity. Why? Because salvation is about as bedrock of a principle of our faith as you're ever going to find. He, guard, he doesn't guard my mind with massive revelation. I love me some revelation. I love when, when you read in the Bible and you see something you've never seen before and you just want to throw it across the room because God's so good. Like, I am that guy. But it says that he guards me with the helmet of salvation. Salvation is simple. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. Jesus died. I put my faith in him. My sins are washed away. He guards me with simplicity. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 18 that we must have faith like a child because children are satisfied with simple answers. Adults are not. Daddy, why is it raining? Because the flowers need water, baby. Okay. Why is it raining? Oh, because there's a front coming out of the southeast and it caught the wind and bumped up against the high-pressure system over Texas and it got stuck. That's the answers adults want. Kids are like, oh, the flowers are thirsty. God, why did, why did this happen to me? Why, why did, did my mom and daddy have to get divorced when they were younger? Why did this happen? Because God's got a plan for your life to reveal himself to you through it. Okay. No, but God, that's not good. If I want an answer, I want to know the real answer. I want to know what the real purpose was. See, it's the enemy who comes at you with complexity. You got to catch this. You got to ca- We can't move on until you catch this. The enemy attacks you with complexity. He, the Lord defends our minds with simplicity. Think about it. When you sit down and get a diagnosis from a doctor, that's negative. I remember going to one of my dad's doctor appointments several years ago. I forgot what, what doctor it was. He was in the hospital or something. And the, the cardiologist came in, and there was a couple of them in there, and they just start talking about ejection fracture. And they're talking about blockages and the mammary artery, and then this one on the bypass arteries here, and these are blocked, and this, this percentage, and this part of the heart's dead. And, like, just, just all kinds of stuff that all my nurse friends are going to laugh at me because it's total English to them. I ain't got no clue what they're talking about. 
And I'm just listening there, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm getting overwhelmed, and I'm getting overwhelmed, and I'm getting overwhelmed over and over and over again. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what in the world am I supposed to do? And what came up in my spirit was Isaiah 53. He was bruised for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his stripes I'm healed. See, I don't even know how he's going to do it. I just need to know that he will. I don't need to know how he's going to fix my financial problem. I need to know he will. But see, what happens is when we're not focused right, when our mind's in the wrong place, we want the complex answer. When it's the enemy who brings complexity. It's the enemy who does it. Remember this, he guards our minds with solid simplicity because it's the helmet of salvation. I want to give you four examples of how he guards our minds. You want to know how he guards our minds? Number one, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it for Miss Sandra, hallelujah, thanks for being in church this morning. If he did it for Miss Sandra in 1980, he can do it for you in 2022. It's the same. He's the same. So if he was good back then, he's going to be good now. And he's going to be good 50 years from now because he does not change. It may not look good. It may not feel good. It may not sound good. But none of those things can change change the permanent unchanging fact that God is good so he guards me with the simple fact of he's good this don't look good I know but he is this don't feel good I know but he is but I don't like the way this went I don't care he's good it don't look good give him time to make it good because everything comes out that way number two he forgives and forgets um, in Psalm 103, it says that he scat- as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. See, what the enemy likes to do sometimes is he likes to tempt you to do something, and at the moment you do it, he condemns you with the very thing he tried to get you to do. Right? He's like, I, you know what? That person right there, that, per- you, you, that person's treating you different because of the color of their skin. Your skin. They're treating you different because of it. They don't like you because you're different to them. They don't like you because you're different to them. The moment you come into agreement, go, you know what? That's the case. Oh, look at you, you racist. That's what he does. That's what he does. You have to shop them all. Man, it, that, that woman's good looking. She, she, look how good she looks. Look at her. Look at her. Look at her. Look at her. Okay, you look. Look at you, you pervert. That's what the enemy does. But what will happen is, is he'll begin to bring complexity at us because I can't believe you did that. Who are you to ever serve and be an usher or be in the worship team or do whatever? And you just fell into that kind of sin? You, you're, you're a disgrace. You're a hypocrite. Nobody can ever trust you. You even have, you have know who Jesus is. No. The Bible says that he scatters my sins as far as the east from the west. He remembers them no more. It's a simple truth. He forgives and he forgets. So it's irrelevant of what the enemy brings at me. If I know that I've repented of my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. John, 1 John 1, 9. When I know the simple truth of the kingdom, he guards my mind against the complex arguments of the enemy. The reason why we keep falling into cycles and chaos and hurt and deception and all the nonsense that we get ourselves caught up in is because we're not grounded enough in simplicity to withstand the complexity. Number three, he is omnipotent. I love that word. I like it better when three-year-old Bethany says it. Omnipotent. She added all the P's. It's just whatever she couldn't pronounce it, she just stuck a P in there. Omnipotent. 
But omnipotent is a great word because it's all-powerful. Like, when, like, I don't think you understand what all-powerful is. All-powerful is limitless power. Limitless. Limitless. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I got to just trust the fact that he's got this. Every time I walk in that building during the week and I go in there and I'm, I'm waiting to hear from the attorneys and all the nonsense, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm looking, I'm like, God, I don't. If y'all want the pastor to figure out the solution with a construction problem, y'all got the wrong one. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. So rather than racking my brain all day and all night, which I have not been doing a very good job of, I'm just going to repent to you right now. I've been, this is the one, right? I, y'all, I purchased preaching this message this week. Let me let y'all know. But I had to rest in the fact that Chris isn't all powerful and doesn't have to be because he is. He's omnipotent. This mountain's too high. This situation's too deep. That person's too lost. He is omnipotent. He is all powerful. And with God, all things are possible. Sometimes we have to get a fresh understanding of this verse. With men, if this is impossible. If you don't find yourself in an impossible situation, how will you ever see that he can do it? No, the whole point is he will put you in impossible situations just to let you know, no, see, you can't do it, I can. That's why you need me. Number four, he is victorious. But this man, after he had offered once an advice for sins forever, sat down. One of my favorite things the Bible says about Jesus is he's seated. I love knowing that he's seated. You know why? Because when you're stressed out, when you worry, when you're concerned, when you're waiting on something, you don't sit. You pace. At least I do. I pace. You can't sleep at night because you're worried about your kids. You can't sleep at night because of the diagnosis. You get up and you pace and you toss and turn. Jesus is seated. Psalm says he's seated until his enemies become his footstool. He's seated. It is done. It is finished. 2,000 years ago when he said it was finished, that was the end of it. It's this this solid simplicity that will guard you. But Pastor Chris, that's not enough. I I, I don't think that, that, that's hard. That's, That's just not enough. Oh, okay. When I have my helmet on, The simple truth of his kingdom guards my fragile mind against his complex attempts. If I'm thinking about the word and the simple truth that I have, if I think about what's, remember what the mind says, what I think about is how I feel, how I feel is how I act. If I'm thinking about the word, I'm going to feel how the word says I should. And when I feel how the word says I should, I'm going to act like the word says I should. So if I'm not acting like the word said I should, I got to go backwards. Means I ain't I ain't feeling like it. If I ain't feeling like it, I gotta go find out if I'm focused on it, if I'm thinking on it. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, Psalm 1, day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water, who bears fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does prospers. Why? Because he's like a man who meditates on his law day and night. He meditates on it. He gets it in his spirit. He gets it inside here. He gets it inside here. So when the enemy comes with the complexity of the temptation or the discouragement or the despair or the anxiety, something rises up on the inside of me that says, I know that's how you want me to think, devil, but I have something else that says otherwise. If I'm not living or feeling like the word says, is my helmet on, here are, here are some reasons we get caught without our helmet on. Number one is fatigue. You're just tired. You're just worn out. This was me. Worn out. Tired. Mind racing all the time, trying to figure things out, solve problems fix things, whatever. That was me, weary in well-doing. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in well-doing. But I was growing weary and well-doing. The moment you start getting tired and you start getting fatigued and you start thinking it's not working is the moment you stop advancing and doing what you know you're supposed to do and your helmet comes off. The moment your helmet comes off, if you can see you're exhausted, he's not with you. You should have did this. You should have did that. This should have never happened. That should have never happened. This person should have never did that. That person should have never said that. It spirals. The second one is trauma. Now, have you ever seen, whether you watch the fights or you've seen a fight in person, or my friend Daryl tells this story one time, that there's apparently a nerve right here that if somebody hits you indirectly, it automatically knocks you out, puts you straight to sleep. And he call, always called it the knockout nerve. That if you hit it right, the person's done. Boom. Because what happens is when there's trauma to this particular nerve, it separates the signal from the head to the body momentarily, and you just clump. That's what trauma can do if you're not careful. Trauma shows up, and it hits you out of nowhere because nobody is like, this is about to be traumatic. Like, that doesn't happen. A traumatic situation comes, and it punches you in the face, but it hits you in your knockout nerve. And for a brief moment in time, Everything is discombobulated, and what happens is you're, you're separated from the head. Who's the head? Christ is separated from the body. We get caught without our helmet on in times of trauma because we're disconnected. That's why, hear me out, one of the worst places you can ever find yourself in the, in the kingdom is isolated or separated from fellowship and community. Because it's really hard for me to get knocked out and fall on the ground if Bo and Cliff are next to me and they can grab me on my way down. But what happens is most of the time, when pe- i got to come down for this, when people find themselves in trauma, they run. Because they don't know which way is up, which way is down, what color anything is. It's, everything is all insane for that brief moment in time. And instead of running to someone, like, like I remember... I used to get these headaches when I was a kid, these sinus headaches. I guess what they were. I called them dizzy headaches. 
And I, I still get them from time to time, but not to this level. But I would get these headaches right here, and it would, it would, there would be so much sinus pressure, the room would begin to spin. And I can remember my, my parents tell the story. We're going through the, was the Atlanta airport, I think it was. We're, like, trying to make a connecting flight or something like that, and we're running through the airport. And I just get this dizzy headache, and I just stop in the middle of the airport and start screaming, dizzy headache, dizzy headache, dizzy headache, which meant I'm not moving because everything else is spinning. That's what trauma is. Everything else is spinning. Do you know what would happen? Mom or dad would come by me. They'd grab a hold of me, and they would walk with me and carry me because while everything else was spinning, I would hold to the one thing that wasn't. Oh, somebody got to catch this and get it deep inside of you. When everything else is spinning around you, there's always one thing that isn't, and it's him. But the problem is, instead of running to the rock of ages that doesn't move, we run away because I don't know what's going on. I know you don't. Run to him. But what happens is trauma comes, and it separates you for a brief moment. And let me tell you something. The longer it takes you to reconnect, the more havoc the enemy will reap on your life. The third one is ignorance. You're unfamiliar with the schemes of the enemy or your knowledge of the word. This is simply somebody who's new, who just doesn't know. Again, this is why it's important to be connected to a body of believers. Because people can say, hey, I'm just letting you know that, that ain't, that's not going to work. Because it's happened me once. And well, that, the testimonies come up and people say, I'm telling you that. You're ignorant to the strategy of the enemy. And we don't realize how important it is to keep ourselves grounded in the solid simplicity. And the fourth one, this is the one nobody really wants to talk about, is arrogance. See, the reason, we, the reason that I get caught with all my helmet on is because I think my mind can handle this one. I think my, my mind's got this one. It's just right, in my, right in, my, in my realm of thinking, man, I can handle this one. This is going to be easy. I'll give you a testimony, like a real-time testimony. I had to play drums this morning. I don't even know when's the last time I played drums. I'll be honest. Like, I can't even tell you when's the last time I played drums. And I, I, I was thinking all week because Bo May, you wasn't feeling well. And so I was like, you know what, I'm a, i got to play drums this weekend. And Wednesday, when I found out he was sick, it was, or Thursday, it was Thursday, Friday, and most of the day yesterday, I'm like, oh, I just got a drum. It's no big deal. That's no big deal. Thank God I woke up this morning and, like, got in the spirit and, like, got with Jesus some because I was able to pray because I don't know what was going on, but my hand was hurting so bad this morning playing drums. I don't know. I don't know. This hand feels like it's 70 years old right now. Like, people say their hand hurts from, like, holding a pencil. My, this hand is hurting right now. I don't know why. Had I just got up there, oh, I could take care of that's no big deal. I've been drumming my whole life. But drum, it, this year, this birthday will be 30 years I've been playing the drums. Ain't no big deal. Uh, 32 years, sorry. Ain't no big deal. Whatever. We're just going to do the thing. Hallelujah. Praise God. No, no, no. I was trusting my own mind instead of his. Don't get caught with your helmet off because you think you can handle it. Let me ask you a question. Even if you can, why would you want to? Can we be real? Even if you can handle it, why would you want to when he's better at it than you are anyway? The last thing I want to say is that, Cody, would you come up here? Is we never move beyond needing the armor and we never move beyond needing the helmet. You will never reach a place of Christianity where your mind is you know enough to not need to be guarded. Let me tell you why. Every season of life that you walk through unlocks a new scheme. 
I could not be tempted to be unfaithful to my wife until I had one. I could not be tempted with anxiety over the safety of my children until I had children. I, I don't, right now, I don't know what it's like. I mean, I have somewhat of an idea because I was a youth pastor and I really loved the, the kids that I youth pastored. But I still only know, but of, I mean, this much, of what it's like to wonder if my, my teenager is going to make it home from hanging out because they're 16, 17 years old and they're out with their friends. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that is yet, so I can't really be tempted with that fear just yet. When I'm older, or wiser as I should say, in my silver years, I'm going to be tempted with things that I'm not tempted with right now. When I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I've been messing with everybody because I turned 35 in a couple weeks, right? And they're like, how do you feel about 35? I said, I was doing fine until I realized it's halfway to 70. That kind of got me a little bit, kind of got in my head a little bit. Because you just, you start thinking a little bit now. Well, guess what? I see my mom and dad and my grandmother process through thoughts that they would have never thought of 20 years ago. Why? Because now they're at a certain age that the temptation applies. So there's never a point in time where you don't need the helmet because there's never a point in time while you're alive, there's no scheme that can come at you. Don't get to a place of maturity that you start being immature. Don't come to such a place of maturity that you start getting immature. That you stop doing the simple things because he guards us with solid simplicity. Now, in, in closing, I, need to, I want to let you know how he guards me with solid simplicity. I want to let you know, see, it works for me and I know it works for some of you. But I woke up on Thursday morning and I was really, really battling with the building stuff. It's just not a good morning. And I was, I went, I read my word. I went and prayed. I did all the things I, I was supposed to do that I do. I had my coffee, all the stuff. I prayed in the Holy Ghost. Nothing, it wasn't changing, nothing. I get in my truck. I go to put on some music to keep praying in the spirit. And something started coming up out of me. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. See, we don't we, we sing them and you'll hear me sing them, but we don't we don't know what it's talking about. Go go back to the one. Blessed assurance. It's an assurance that's blessed. That Jesus is mine. And oh, what a foretaste. It's a taste I'm not supposed to have yet, but he's given it to me anyway. Of his glory and his divine, I'm an heir of salvation. It's mine. I've been purchased by God. And I'm born of his spirit. I'm washed in his blood. Because there will come a time when it doesn't feel like it should, look like it should, or sound like I thought he would have it be. Do you think for one second that I thought pastoring would look like it has? 
It, it, it has looked nothing like I thought it would. But through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in. If you don't know these songs, repent and then come see me after church. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. I got to sing my favorite verse, then we'll leave. Because I thank God for my mountains. Thank him for my valleys. Thank him for the storms he's brought me through. God, I love this line. Because if I never had a problem, how would I know if God could solve them? How would I know what faith in his word could do? Father, I thank you this morning that you guard us with the helmet of salvation, the helmet of simple truth. Father, I thank you that we don't need to have deep understanding of your spirit to understand that you beat cancer that you beat heart disease, that you beat depression, that you beat fear, that you beat lack, that you beat anxiety, that you beat despair. I don't need to have complex theological breakdowns and exegesis to know that you're faithful when everybody else isn't. Father, I thank you that you guard my mind with simple truth through the helmet of salvation. Father, I thank you this morning that if anybody is here that is not walking with their helmet on, that they would start putting it on every morning. God, guard me with simple truth. God, guard me with the fact that you've saved me you've purchased me you've delivered me you've sanctified me you're healing me and you're carrying me through father i thank you that my hope is in you my source comes from you father we honor and magnify your name this morning in jesus mighty name go with us as we leave today i pray that you bless us coming in coming out i pray that your anointing would go before us i pray that every place that we put our feet would be your yours to take. Father, I thank you for setting us free, for delivering us, and for bringing us into the purpose you have for us. Let your presence go before us, around us, and beside us and in us. In Jesus' name, if you're thankful for the helmet of salvation, give, give him a shout this morning as you leave. Amen. We love you. See you next Sunday.